came up for me when we talked you just mentioned you brought up just like the mind like the mind body connection so as what i've noticed for myself and like looking through the lens of the work that i do but as my body is healing i'm removing a threat that my body is constantly fighting and the threat is not just the cf it's the toxicity it's the nutritional deficiency and so mind-body connection your biology is your biography your biography is your biology so they're just directly related and so if you can just trust and know that process um, just how like how robust that is you'll never know how well you feel or how open you are to person and even though it feels so much like it's it is a lot if i write it down on paper <laughs> It's a lot. Like it's yeah. so much what happens in a day. It's just it. You there's a natural. I forget that Sanskrit word, but there's just a natural cycle of doing it. Right. Yeah. You just get into the flow yeah. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Eat Realty Heal podcast. My name is Nicolette Richet, and I am your host. Today, I am very humbled, thrilled, excited, um, nervous, all of the emotions uh, that one can possibly feel um, in welcoming this particular guest. Zoe Stimson reached out to me uh, more than a year ago and said she might need to do the therapy that I teach, which is the Gerson therapy. I am a Gerson trainer and I have taught people all over the world, thousands of people all over the world, the Gerson therapy and the modified Gerson therapy known as the Eat Real to Heal program that I created 16 years ago. Now, normally when I work with people, I work with individuals who have chronic degenerative diseases, not genetic diseases, which account for only about 3% of all those chronic illnesses, but truly people who don't have genetic diseases, but they have lifestyle diseases. Because I know there's a high probability that I will have success with these clients. Well, Zoe came to me. I met her at a girlfriend's 50th birthday party. I immediately saw she knew about food as medicine. I can tell by the way she was cooking at this event. And um, all the food she was making was whole foods. And so as I got to know her more, I learned that she had also been diagnosed since birth, but hadn't been diagnosed until she was 37 with a genetic condition called cystic fibrosis. So cystic fibrosis, also known as CF, is a spectrum genetic disease that affects the cells that produce mucus, sweat, and digestive fluids in the body. And this causes the mucus and the body to produce so much mucus in excess that the, mu the immune system has to constantly try to get rid of that mucus. And so what this leaves um, individuals with CF um, doing is their body's trying to every single day, eliminate this mucus and which makes them very susceptible to infections. Now, the lifespan for CF, it is not long. Right now, somebody with CF can live to be about 53 on average now, but what we're seeing is that still many individuals with CF pass away by their early 20s. If they make it to the 30s, they might make it to about 44 and with a rare exception, 
people are living longer today, but still the lifespan is drastically reduced by several decades. So Zoe had had CF her whole life, but she had been misdiagnosed and you're going to learn about why. And after years of sinus infections, pneumonia, antibiotics, hospitalizations, tests, and ultimately being completely misdiagnosed by her medical teams and specialists, you know, Zoe learned that she did have the genetic mutation for CF. And for those of you who are listening today, it's important to know that there is currently no known cure for this disease. Now, being a mom of two young children, and this woman is a renegade, she is courageous, she is a fighter, she doesn't take no for an answer. Well, Zoe reached out to me after just, you know, having enough of being sick, and she said, let's give this a go, let's do the Gerson therapy, and so we dove in together. Now, you're going to learn about Zoe's journey through doing the Gerson therapy, through going to the Baja therapy clinic. Uh, and through being being one of the sickest people at that clinic and possibly the first person there with CF. You're going to meet her husband, Mike, who's also part of this healing journey and how he supports her. You're going to learn, learn about the salts that heal and salts that harm, the relationship between cystic fibrosis and estrogen, doing coffee enemas. You're going to learn about Bob. You're going to learn about so much more. And Zoe's story is truly inspiring. And I'm going to let her tell you the results of doing the Gerson therapy in her own words in this podcast. So a little bit about Zoe beyond being someone who was diagnosed with CF. So Zoe Stimson works with people to liberate their well-being and reclaim their deepest self. As a wellness mentor, trauma-informed transformational facilitator, a somatic healer, an embodiment guide, a birth doula, a yoga and meditation teacher, and a certified coach, Zoe is all of these things and then some. She's truly a remarkable human that we can all look to for guidance, for support in all spaces, parenting, healing, health, and more. Zoe is committed to sharing all of what she's learned through the beauty and the mess of her own life with trauma-informed somatic integrity. She makes the most out of her wildly precious life, embracing all of who she is, something we can all learn from. She loves courageously and she 100% stands up for what she believes in. So let's dive into this show with Zoe because you are going to learn so much. And folks, if you're listening right now, you know what to do. Please share this podcast everywhere and anywhere. This show needs to land in the hearts, in the minds, and in the ears of individuals who are living with CF, as well as organizations that support patients with CF, Celine Dion. Her niece, Karine, she passed away at an early age from cystic fibrosis. And of course, there's many other individuals out there that are working to find a cure from this disease, but right now there is not one. The great news is, is that one of her doctors did say if she continues to live this lifestyle of hypernutrition and detoxification and keeps getting the results that she's getting, Zoe could live well into her 80s and 90s. And that is huge for anybody who has cystic fibrosis. So let's dive in. Please share this podcast and I'll see you at the end. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. 
We are in Squamish, BC, and we are with Zoe and Mike. And to take, this is it. We're recording. They don't think this is serious because we set this, like it literally took us an hour to try and figure out the camera angles. I know. We should have just bust out and dance this whole podcast into existence. Anyway, we are here with Zoe and Mike, and today we have a very important topic that we're going to be discussing, and in fact, hundreds of important topics. So welcome to our show. <laughs> okay, so everyone, just a little bit of background here, just so you know what we are getting into, okay? Okay, this beautiful woman here has CF, and we are going to be talking about her journey from pretty much birth, we can even go further back, but from birth into the present, and everything <laughs> this woman, this crusader, this wellness warrior, um, and her family have been doing to basically eat, not just an eat real to real lifestyle, but really go deep and actually do the Gerson therapy. So as all of my listeners know, um, I teach E-Real to Heal. That's my program, which is a uh, modified version of the Gerson therapy. Because the Gerson therapy is an intense therapy, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in detail, what that sounds like. But it's intense for a reason, because it gets results. Okay, so we're going to dive into that as well. So, Zoe, I just want you to, you know, maybe tell people what is, like, what is CF? <gasps> Good question. I know, because a lot of people, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is she going to ask me the science behind cystic fibrosis? Because I don't remember it anymore. No, but Why don't you explain um, it just from what happens yeah. in your body? Either? Yeah, so basically, um, to keep it easy, cystic fibrosis is where the transductor membrane um, basically doesn't operate properly between sodium chloride and what ends up happening is you start accumulating a ton of mucus inside the body. Most people refer to it as a lung disease, but ultimately it's a second lung, the sinus disease. It goes into all the organs depending on its progressive disease. And as mucus accumulates in the body, it starts to kill off the cilia. And then therefore the main kind of the first line of defense in your immune system has a hard time kind of sweeping out all of the gunk. And so you end up being really susceptible to infections and not only like primary infections, but then secondary infections because they die off from the initial infections, kind of sit around in the mucus and all that sexual mucus inside your body. And then that turns into a secondary infection. So you're kind of just dealing with like one in fact, one infection one infection after the other. Um, and, you know, I have a CFTR disorder and it's a spectrum disease. And so what I've learned is um, it ultimately just starts hitting every organ of the body. And so recently for me, it kind of went from lungs and pneumonias and bronchiectasis and sinus infections and carrying pseudomonas and staph aureus to then really impacting my pancreas, my digestive system, um, potentially the kidneys. So I'm also just learning about the disease, but nothing more sexy mucus. Sexy mucus that actually, in fact, you named mucus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about Bob. 
food. So Bob is this character that loves to hang out in my sinuses. And we met Bob once I started learning how to properly clean my sinuses. And so I clean my sinuses once or twice a day. And ultimately, if I hang out on the right long enough, then Bob will droop out. And he's typically like, he can be anywhere from like this big to this big. Typically, he's just a mass of thick. And dark brown. And um, what was the color? It's like browny green, yellow, all colors of the rainbow, pretty much. Sometimes red, bloody. Um, but on Gerson, it's been like, like almost like, um, like egg whitey. It's gotten yeah. so much clearer. Yeah. Which is, yeah, and we're going to, that, which is amazing because <laughs> when I agreed to, um, work with you and said yes normally in the past I would never have worked with somebody who has a genetic disease I would have said hey you know lifestyle can definitely you know make a genetic disease not so pronounced not so expressed um but to actually say like let's turn off the genes like reverse I would never have um actually put myself in a position to work with somebody because it's you know it's genetic diseases they're rare a lot of them um, it's unknown with how come we don't know if it's the same protocol that for somebody who has MS or diabetes or heart disease, you know, those diseases are relatively easy to reverse, whereas, you know, even the geneticists have a hard time with genetic diseases. So, but you convinced me. <laughs> I did. You did convince me. Well, you convinced me. me. I did. And then I convinced you. Well, you convinced me to do the therapy, and then I assumed that you were going to be my support. And then when you're like, oh, no, it's not my... <laughs> <laughs> and then I can reconvince you. Really? Oh, yes. I, yeah, I don't. Okay, if that's how it happened, then that is how it happened, folks. That's how it went down. So I want to jump over to Mike for a minute because um, when you met Zoe, did you know she, you didn't know she had this um, CFTR no. gene no. mutation? No, I didn't know she had it. Um, I mean, she seemed completely normal. <laughs> Little bit I know, <laughs> but she's um you know throughout I guess it was about four or five years in to our relationship we discovered that she has CF, but there were just a lot of uh, ailments that happened throughout those first four to five years. But some of it was brought on by compassion, some of it was brought on by child loss, some of it, was, and then there was that that run of like fourteen pneumonias in one. In and out of the hospital and getting no no one could tell no one no one tried to tell us what was going on just oh antibiotics out of here you know and and you know third fourth fifth time in a row into the hospital there was a bit of a you know we had to shake down the doctors and say like well what's actually going on like you know and, and it really wasn't even then that it, it got discovered it was in a trip to costa rica and Zoe was super sick and just, we were only there for two weeks and she was just out of it and just devastated, very unwell and very upset. And she put out an SOS to on, online, I think, and someone connected you to the CF clinic <clears throat> and well, well, so we didn't know what are the lung and respiratory clinic, isn't it? Yeah, the, a woman, so I did a story randomly. I hadn't done Instagram stories really at this point and I was in really bad place and super unwell and I'd been unwell for a long time and they were finding like what was going on 
And um, I just said, look, like I remember putting it up and I was devastated and I was super emotional and vulnerable and just in it. And I had a woman message me that I worked with the cactus club and she said, oh, I'm Dr. Wilcox's bookkeeper. And he's like the head coordinator of the adult cystic fibrosis clinic. Sounds like maybe I should get you in there. And then that was my shoe in, but otherwise I wouldn't have gotten in. And going back, um, let's go back, 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 yeah. because um, we, you know, we talked about this, we put together a timeline. It's about five pages long, everybody, um, because it's really important that we're documenting Zoe's experience here because of the fact that most people, especially with rare genetic diseases, um, NCF would be considered rare. There's only about um, 40,000 people in North America that have CF, about 150,000 people worldwide. So what happens is when people have a rare disease, like Canada doesn't even have a rare disease strategy in place. It's the only country in the world that does not have a strategy on how to deal with individuals who have rare diseases. And this is, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but shocking, Yeah. right? <coughs> and so often there's no funding put to it because it's an economic output formula. If you can create a drug, and give it to as many people as you can, you're going to make back the 50 plus millions of dollars that it took to run the clinical trials. So it's a marketing formula and business plan at the end of the day. So when, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and not out of maliciousness, you know, it's really that they have to keep their doors open and people employed and they have to, you know, report to their shareholders. So they go, we're not studying this rare disease. And they just shelf it and say, there's not enough people to make the money back once they produce the drug. So it's just important to know that. So in working with Zoe, they said, well, like, let's give this a try. Like, let's see, we don't know. There was one case ever that I had been able to find of a woman who had cystic fibrosis. She was in the hospital. She needed four organ transplants at once. And the doctor said she was gonna die. I found her blog where she documented everything. And instead of waiting for these organs that were probably never going to come, she got on a plane and she flew to Mexico to the Gerson Clinic. She ended up doing the Gerson therapy fully for a couple of years. And then she went on to give birth to four boys. So over the years, she had four children, raised them. Um, and that was the only other person that I could find. And so I mentioned that to Zoe because I usually always try and find somebody who's gone through the experience. In this case, when it comes to rare genetic conditions, we don't, you know, it's hard to find somebody who's going to turn to food as medicine to treat their condition. So it was an experiment. So I just have to say that um, I love this picture that you just showed me, that you are like this cougar panther, you know, Jane in the jungle woman and super strong and ferocious and fierce and for such a petite, sweet, beautiful, little human body, you are like this powerhouse of a woman and very courageous um, to have tried this because um, you could have, you know, there's other routes you could have gone there for sure. And we're going to talk about those routes um, as well. So let's go back to the beginning because genetic um, CF and it, you were born and your parents didn't know they had no, there was there's a discrepancy still to this day between my mom and my dad. Um, 
And so my dad remembers very vividly. He said, soon after I was born, I think a couple weeks old, I was in the hospital, really, really sick. I wasn't putting on weight. Um, I had some sort of infection that they couldn't get rid of. And right away, they assumed that it was cystic fibrosis. Um, but back then, the testing isn't the same now. They realized back then the testing was only for specific genetic variations. But now they're realizing that cystic fibrosis is a spectrum disease. You have to have this specific genetic variation to have CF. And so it just kind of wrong place, wrong time. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, but I obviously had the spectrum of the disease. And because it's progressive, it wasn't until later on in life that it really started showing up. Right? And I'm sure I can show you. Yeah, and yeah, with this, um, and with CF, when children, when it is diagnosed early, the prognosis is quite poor. Yeah, it's shifted a lot in, um, like, it's interesting talking about this because I'm so far removed from the allopathic side of the way that we approach cystic fibrosis and even stats. But I know in my, like, small amount of awareness around the allopathic like, stats and the way that what's suspected in prognosis. Originally, they would say 12, 12 years, I think, like even 12, 20 years ago. And then when I was diagnosed, um, I remember Googling right away. I didn't know much about CF or heard about it, but the prognosis was like 37 years was a good case scenario. And I was 37 years when I got the diagnosis. So I had to quickly switch my belief system around um, my relationship with the disease and how it was going to impact my life. I feel like I had already established um, that's where I was gifted to not having the diagnosis in early early age. I feel like I had really established so much autonomy and stewardship over my sense of health and well-being and my ability to read my body, listen to my body, because no one was supporting me other than myself. So and you were quite the athlete, and I know you talked about the fact that you were an athlete. You had also grown up with a mom who um, cooked really healthy food and ate really well and mm -hmm. promoted health and wellness. Um, you know, and so talk a little bit more about that and how you think that contributed to, you know, did that contribute to a later diagnosis, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a combination of um, growing up in back then relative to at least our pool of uh, our community pool in the times uh, like a healthy home environment with healthy wholesome foods um, i know my mom when people talk they used to make fun of her and being like such a health nut so that definitely benefited and then i was really active um, which made a huge difference like mechanically pumping up the lungs and everyone knew, knew me as the like hucker like i could huck a loogie so far and everyone would be like, stop. And I'd be like, I have to. It's just like coming out. And I intuitively knew I couldn't swallow it. Because you have to get it out. And so that was a big piece. And I think the biggest piece where I feel a little bit emotional just sitting with this is like my spirit. I think that I, um, like I, I just was from a young age so thirsty. I remember always, my name means life. And I just feel like I had such a zest and a thirst for life. I remember just a kid, like, just trying to drink in everything. And there's also a downside of it. There's a bit of, like, FOMO and yeah, yeah, survival pattern of taking it a bit too far. But I had, like, a real zest for life. And so when I wasn't well, um, I wouldn't 
let myself believe that I was unwell. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it completely so makes it was a combination of all three things. And then it all became so relative, right? Now that I feel so much better, I'm grieving the girl and the woman that had to put up with feeling like that for so long because it was, you don't know what's normal. You're only inside of you. And now I'm like, oh, shit, like, this is what it's like to feel normal potentially. And now I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, it's not So, so, okay, so you go through life, your parents don't know um, at all that you have uh, the CFTR gene that's turned on. Is that what it's flipped on? You know, it's flipped, something flipped off, flipped on? Uh, I think it's a flick off. Okay. Um, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, we're going to look, in, we're gonna look yeah. into that. Because, yeah, in genetic conditions, you can flip <laughs> genes on that are supposed to be on, flip genes off that are supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to the bottom of that. Um, because we're still learning a lot and discovering a lot through you doing Gerson and what's mm-hmm. worked and what hasn't worked as well. And I'll share some of those things. Mm-hmm. So when Zoe started to get sick, um, you're together. She's how many times did she have pneumonia? Four, one in one, one year. year. Was four times, yeah. Four. And did the doctors at all at this point, you know, what was their response to that? That hey, I've had pneumonia fourteen times in one year. Like how common? That's not common. No, it was really just get get you know get her in, get her treated with antibiotics, get her out as quick as possible, so they can do it. And then you had some that were like, you know, if you print out Zoe's file, like it's hundreds of pages long, you know, like mine is literally probably a yeah. you know, and Zoe's is hundreds of pages long, it's so detailed, and you get these doctors that would change shift and come on in, and they'd be like, oh, I just quizzed through, and this is what I think she has, or this is what it is, and this is what she needs. I'm like, I'm like no other doctors can able to work that out. So, like, I appreciate your efforts, but like, that's likely not that simple. And, you know, I had to call doctors out into the hallway often and, like, really try and, like, motivate them. And this is not, this is far from an attack on doctors. I mean, yeah. In the hospitals, I mean, goodness me, I mean, they've saved Zoe's life. In my time as though they've saved Zoe's life. So it's not, it's just, it's the system, what they dealt, what they've got to use. And even, even at the CF clinic right now with the specialists in North America, you know, at her disposal. I mean, the, the solution is um, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Everything and not anything, all they can really do is is, is support her with antibiotics. And that has an expiry date, you know? And so, and that has an impact on all the other organs and and her, you know, there's, there's studies on depression with antibiotics. There's, there's so much, there's so much that impact that that has. And so even with the, Doctors and the and the specialists is like, well, what is the solution? What can we do? Um, and so you know they've tried. You know, going back to your question, they they've tried, and it was just where did we go? That we we didn't know. We didn't know, and we still you know even you know we still have moments. Where, who 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 can help us? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> now it's for for something we we need an absolute team of doctors to be able to um, understand this understand what potential solutions are in the future, treatments are in the future. I mean, it does take a whole entire team. Um, and as I say, a village, I think, too. Yeah, and, you know, even... So I just want to go back to that a little bit because 
you know, as I sit here, I see a strong woman, I see a strong man. I can imagine you advocating for Zoe mm. while she's in the hospital, you know, pneumonia 14 times in one year. And, but it does take that level of advocacy for yourself and for your loved ones. Like that part is very evident, which I also think played probably a huge role in you getting to where you are. Like you took that initiative, you know, before using Instagram to put a call out there to the world and say, help, like help yeah. me with this. Yeah. I was going to share, if I could expand mm-hmm. on that, because I feel like it's such a big piece. Yeah. There's one thing I could share. It is that advocacy and that level of self-responsibility. And as he's talking, I'm just like my heart, he has been so, so supportive. So when I was missing the questions or unwell, he was there. And um, But basically, um, I mean, the arc is long. So if I go to like the specifics where um, at one point when, so it got really bad. It started around 2008 where it started getting downhill with fibromyalgia. They thought I had Lyme's disease. They thought it was chronic fatigue syndrome. I was seeing every specialist under the sun, like so thorough, just, you know, no one knew. And then um, we'll fast forward to like 2014 at that point, or sorry, 2017, when I had all those pneumonias in that year, I was in and out of the hospital five times for three to four three to four days each time. And an internal medicine specialist came in. And it was the first time they kind of got someone to mediate within the allopathic realm to like look at my case. And he right away just kind of sideswiped me. And I remember being so, is that okay? Yes. Yeah, I remember being like so, (laughs) so fucking pissed off. Yeah. I was so angry. I looked at this man and I, I, I had so much fire inside, but I didn't even know how to articulate it because I didn't feel like I was too much emotion to wrap words around it. And I remember just going, it's like, how can he, how? And I, I could tell he was looking at me with judgment. I'm little, I'm skinny, which is part of cystic fibrosis and not malabsorption, right? <clears throat> um, mental health, I'm a new mom. Um, so there's all these factors that he was presuming and making assumptions around. And I was trying to look past him. I was like trying to tell him I was calling for help. And so he didn't listen. And eventually I got, um, my godmother is a pediatrician and she's a feisty one at that. So I got her. Um, she had a friend that lived down the street from me who's an internal medicine specialist. I had all these people off record to support me in my team. And so I started meeting with them at coffee shops and talking to them. I started doing stuff online, like forget the names of them now, talking to the mail clinic, just trying to get a sense of all of these things. And then it got to a point where I told Mike, I would look in the mirror and I was withering away. I was, something was so wrong with me and I knew like death, I could, death was so close. And I just went into my doctor's office and I looked at her and I just said, you've got to do fucking more. Like I literally said, I was like, my eyes were fierce. And I said it like three times, like, you've got to do so much fucking better. I'm so sick right now. And this, what's, what's, what you're doing is not enough. You need to take this further. Like I was so intense with her and that cracked open something inside of her. Me being that fierce, that clear, but also respectful for her to just, she all of a sudden went from being like this casual to just, and now she's on, she's basically like, not as much now, her family, she's got young kids, but she's on speed dial. 
um, and that was a huge part. And then I just kept that level of self-advocacy and ferocity and just made sure that I embodied that communication and that was everything. Yeah. And not easy to do when you're sick and unwell. Yeah. Oh, it's a hard thing to do. I know as a, a mother with my oldest daughter, we've had uh, three instances where she was so sick and in the hospital and the doctors were like, nothing's wrong with her. And it was at 10 days old. It was again, four years old, again, nine days old. And, you know, meningitis, like, and they just kept on pushing us away. And I look back at that. And one of the things too is that there's something to having a strong personality that can come across, I feel, for doctors that it's like, whoa, 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 like you research too much, you're asking too many questions, you're too, like whatever they, you know, however they want to categorize you for being the person who wants to get to the bottom of something. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that our family ate well. And I sometimes wonder how, because mm -hmm. we eat well, you're able to keep infections kind of at this like, strange place of purgatory so yeah. it's not manifesting into like this ferocious disease but it's also not you mm -hmm. know sublime and, and and not present so I think that's a hard place for certain people to be and as we move into this world we talk about how COVID is definitely shaking people up to eat better to be outside more to you know slow down and have relationships and so with that I'm hoping we're going to see a lot more people getting a little bit more healthy, but then with that, how that kind of can mask certain symptoms. So much. And I, I think imagine. like it was my demise being so, I had to be so conscious of my health, my food, sleep hygiene, stress levels, um, everything. And if I hadn't done that, I might've gotten diagnosed earlier. Right, because you were saying and you would stop drinking, like no drugs, like you really clean. were clean. Yeah. So can you take us through a day in the life um, prior to you doing person, of course, mm -hmm. but a day in the life of living with CFTF? Um, Just to well, be able to manage yeah. the disease. It's so high maintenance. Um, I think the, like the, it's definitely a really isolating experience. It's like, imagine when, for instance, when COVID all of a sudden hit, everyone was all of a sudden so cautious of germs. And there's a hypervigilance that everyone was experiencing. So when you have CF, you know, it, even just like the, my maple tree carries Pseudomonas, the bacteria that's like the worst bacteria to have. Or if I dip into a still lake, it hasn't moved enough, there's bacteria. So every, dis, like, you kind of have to, um, weigh every decision you're going to make and for someone that has like such a zest for life and really values freedom and adventure i when i found out about the disease i really had to go it kind of felt like stick shift where i was like having to weigh everything you know for my children do i put my children in a daycare so we chose not to because it's a germ pool um to everything like if mike comes home do i give him a kiss right away um and so because like there's that. There's a hypervigilance initially around, especially diagnosed so late, just when, you know, a lot of decision, a lot of inner decision making. And then that leads to kind of having to feel and be more particular around your environment and what you're doing. Um, and then also, like, it's very, 
I feel like every day I'm on call for life. It's like, how can I show up? And this has been like a huge arc of acceptance for me initially, like, oh, like just grieving the lot, the woman that had all these big dreams. And I remember reading something that said um, that dying dreams is actually the hardest, hardest condition that any human has to experience. And I, for me, that was really true because I constantly was living from a place of co-creation. I had a big imagination and a very, um, even though I didn't have an easy childhood, there was a lot of adversity and trauma growing up. I had a lot of privilege and a lot of choice to be made. And I really believed in myself and, and the world I was co-creating. And I saw so much good in the world. And so those dying dreams was really, really big. And I feel like only in the past year have I really just kind of surrendered to being rather a victim of the disease, just letting it navigate how I'm going to show up, how can I show up. And there's that element on like a mental and emotional level. And then on a physical level, it was exhausting. Like to feel that unwell, the constant, like when they scraped out or the surgery on my sinuses, when they scraped that Annette out, I hear people complain about a sinus it's like every position you move, your lungs, bone deep pain. Um, it was really, it was awful, like so awful. And it got to the point where I had a strong spirit and I was really positive until just before I started nursing, I reached up to Mike and my mom and I said, um, for the first time, I feel like the other side is better. Like I was like so tired. feeling that unwell and it's so isolating because you're not around other people um and with cf you look normal um so it's <laughs> it's um yeah it's challenging it's really challenging and there's only you know everybody has their their breaking point too, right? It's like you can go, you can go, you can go, you can advocate for yourself, you can fight for yourself, you can, you know, you have Mike fighting there with you, but then still, like, you're growing a family at the same time, so now you also are, like, you know, mama bear to the children, but then you need to be mama bear to yourself, and then, um, you know, there's just, and there's so much already in any given day without having a, an illness to think about that, you know, some people don't even have the energy for that, let alone a condition which a lot of people don't know a lot about. They're trying to get to the bottom of it and understand it. So mm -hmm. of course, like, you know, and just thinking even how you described growing up, you know, like playing team sports and you have to like talk these loogies and, you know, and you I mean you laugh about it and you talk about it in that way. But of mm -hmm. course, like you're like, why is this happening? So you're always mm -hmm. questioning what's going on mm -hmm. as well. And trying to get to the bottom of something like, mm -hmm. you know, it is a, just trying to get to the bottom of and every common cold that comes to our house, like to be mm -hmm. like, is it this herb or this food or what does my child need or what do I need? It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It is a lot. It's a lot. And, and when, even when you're well, there's maintenance. And yes. that's the tough thing because it's yeah. like you're, you, you feel so shitty for so long and you come out of it, but then that convalescence period is so important. So, so then you have to nurture that yeah. 
and you know you can't just run out the gates because you're well and then when you're well you've got to make sure you're still nebulizing you're supposed to be on prophylactic antibiotics which i've stopped now you're supposed to do i was on the caseton program for pseudomonas which means you're on a nebulizer for half an hour three times a day for a month plus another nebulizer so it's like four hours up to four hours a day of just nebulizing and rinsing on top of feeling unwell so it's i wasn't i didn't sign up for that that's why i chose to so how long were you doing the nebulizing program for? Because you were also doing, you said there was a vibrational, like something to vibrate the mucus. There was a, like an afflow vest, which we didn't really do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do percussions and stuff. Um, but can I just, I just want to, yeah. just want to just explain something. Because with the, with the nebulizing pseudomonas, mm -hmm. you know, it isn't even that you opted out of it. Um, I just want to make, make sure that's clear as well, because it was that, if you did it for a month and it didn't show any signs of working, then they say, well, it's not going to work. So you did it for a month and it didn't work. And then they said, well, you can keep doing it if you want to, but it's not going to work. And so that's, and then, and then there was the, that was just the for the pseudomonas and there was also the prophylactic antibiotics as well that they do and did want you to keep doing. But for the inhaling, yeah, it wasn't even a choice to not to stop it or not. It was it's never been treated that way, it's never effectively worked, yet it may keep it at bay and prolong it for different reasons. Um, your life is what they say. Um, yeah. So instead of, I just want to, you know, instead of, because it's not like you opted out of the system, it says the system isn't, hasn't been able to provide a solution. Yeah, and I also very consciously, um, like I didn't tell anyone, including you and my mom, for mm -hmm. a month, I had chosen the poor person. I felt like it was actually going to kill me faster than, than save me or take away my quality of life. So I made it really, because at that time, pseudomonas is like the one that you don't want to carry. And I, I had to sit with that decision myself and go, I'm going to not take this anymore, but it took me a month to build up the courage to the people that I loved that I wasn't going to keep taking this program anymore. I only carried that with me for a month. I can't even begin to understand like how just yeah just how difficult that decision is mm -hmm. because it's do I keep taking something and people have to make that decision every day with chemo with mm -hmm. you know surgeries it's like okay this can prolong by a little bit but what often we don't realize is a little bit sometimes it's only a few days or a few months like it's actually it doesn't mean it's like you know decades of decades and so then it's the quality of life and you know and at the end of the day you know your body best and you know how you're live your life too so um so it's a nice like shutter door you know other doors open if you've always got one door cracked you're always like looking through it to see and so i mean and i just you know zoe is that type of person who will be like no there's a, there's there's a stuff i can heal this there is a way to do this there's a you know and you'll keep digging and keep looking and like the amount of things that she has tried and learning to try and like uncover a solution i can't believe it it's so amazing and so that that i mean so when i look at zoe and she's really really unwell and she's really unwell and feeling like the other side isn't that far um i just remind her i'm like i just remind her who she is i'm like you but you will 
continue to find a solution and find another way. And yes, this isn't working, but something else is. And honestly, every every week there's something new, there's something oh. different, and there's something you know that that to add to this that, um, which is. Well, and that in this day and age, I mean, we if you think about how long humans have been on the planet, it's been a very short time that we've had these cures for these diseases. Like we're going to talk about in the last hundred years. So every single day, the amount of you know studies that are being done and research that is being done, it's like exponential, um, an exponential movement towards finding new solutions, new treatments, new even if it's just treatments that extend life right um you have to talk about that quality of life that comes with extending life which we can get into but you know i remember saying to you one day i was like sell me my friend has hemophilia and just the other day i was like i think there's going to be a cure for hemophilia one day and sure enough you know they they have found a potential cure for hemophilia kp not all hemophilia but at least one version which wasn't present the day before that was discovered so it's Having that, the will, the courage to keep pushing forward, to keep discovering, to, to keep trying, which I do recognize can get exhausting, um, but it does mean you have to build up a support system around yeah. you as well. Yeah. You having that support system. So thank you for describing what a day in the life looks like, because that's a lot of work on top of mm -hmm. just living mm -hmm. um, and taking care of children and cooking. So. Um, I want to take you to when you decided to do person. And if you can just share with our audience what that decision-making process looks like, because it's not an easy decision, because A, it's the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's a massive lifestyle <clears throat> switch. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of factors to consider, and, and ultimately it being the unknown. Yeah. So how did you arrive at that point? Uh, um, there wasn't one point. There was like many, many points until yeah. the one point. But the first point was meeting you at Kristen's 50th birthday. And honestly, you, just your magnetism and your heart and your passion um, and your knowledge. Um, you know, I've been studying and immersed in trying to get myself better for so many years. So when I felt you, I was like, hey, this woman is the real deal. I remember coming back to my team, like, I found my new best friend, <laughs> like on so many levels. And so, you know, I, you did feel like a support, right? You felt like a rock to me the same way Mike feels like a rock. Both to us, so it's feel like. Um, and so then just hearing you, and then I was pregnant at the time. And rewind a couple of years ago I had that big surgery where they had done the lung washing and the sinus reconstruction and they scraped out all the infection brought me to ground zero so at that time that was the best I had felt in so long and I literally this is the way I worked right which is kind of like Mike's like oh god but he's so good like I'm like a wild horse it's like oh I'm better <laughs> like, yeah you know so I literally in my belief, but this is what allows me to live life, I think, like in, in the way that I do with the disease. I literally didn't think I would get sick again. I was like, oh, I've got a spectrum disease. Like, it's okay. all good. Like, they've got it all out. Now I'm ground zero. I know how to manage this. That was literally, I thought. So when I got sick, so I met you when I was pregnant, and then I had sequoia. And six months after having sequoia, I got really sick, and it had hit my digestive system like hard and fast. It was the first sign. 
well, I had kind of one sign 12 years ago, but the first real sign where I was like, oh shit, like this disease has progressed beyond my lungs and my sinuses and the blood infections. It was a huge wake up call. In this time, I've been dabbling. I was like, okay, maybe when Sequoia is one year old or past breastfeeding, I'll kind of dabble in the lifestyle and just kind of dance with it a little bit and started really immersing myself in what like health really means. I was integrated nutrition coach, a wellness coach. Like, and for me, Gerson took it to a whole new level. Um, and so that was a big arc for me because it's like almost like a slow, I, I allowed a slow death of my old habits. Mm. And I knew I was eventually going to be person. Um, and then got to the point where I needed to be person. It was like a do or die. I knew the antibiotics weren't working. I didn't want to live like that anymore. I got to the point where literally I decided if this is my life, like I'm so exhausted. And when you have a disease that's that intense and you watch the way it impacts your family, I also got to a point where I was like, I'm not saying this is true, but my experience in that, few weeks was they might be better off without me you know without having the weight of my disease and you know and especially him for so long so I got I, I almost started like taking that and going okay well do or die that was basically how I was thinking and I was like okay I'm gonna do Gerson and ultimately it really was you like it was Nicolette <laughs> and I'm not trying it was you no I seriously I trusted you and I just like adored you and your knowledge and um I felt so supported and heard by you and I can't even tell you that was I probably only had Mike and one other person even remotely hold that level of support and validation and also be into solutions with me that are in the realm of what feels like is aligned with me um, so then I did that, and then I called you, and I said, Nicolette, if I was your daughter, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> and um, we didn't know each other, I said, if I was your daughter, what would you do? Yeah. Because, you know, have, having two young kids, the idea of Gerson therapy mm -hmm. uh, was a lot, and I knew with Gerson, you know, most, some people that do with cancer, they don't have negative symptoms, but when I'm out, I'm out, too. so I can't be preparing all my juices and stuff on days that I don't feel well. And so you just said, like, if it was me, I would take a line, I would take a loan out of my house, I'd sell my house, did I, I would go, that? you did, you did, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, first of all, hey, everybody who's listening out there, this is not a plug for me. The it's reason, <laughs> The reason I wanted to do this interview is because it is... What is happening right now is pretty groundbreaking, I think, in the world of CF because we're not really that much closer to finding a treatment or a cure that, I mean, we're getting closer every single day. I say we as though I'm part of that. I'm not even part, I'm just learning about this disease um, and this condition. And so, um, but because Zoe did take the leap, and I'm glad that you did ask that question because at the end of the day, I'm an educator, so I don't diagnose, I don't prescribe, you know mm -hmm. me, you're like, what should I do? I'm like, I can't tell you because, yes. you know, but by mm -hmm. asking me that question, what would you do if your um, daughter was sick? Yeah. Then I can tell you. And I said, yeah. I'm in friend mode here. Yeah. I said, I need you to answer this as a friend. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I wasn't trying to plug you, it's just no, true. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, and I've been trying to understand this too because when I work with individuals, you know, they come to me, we talked about this earlier before the show started, about hitting rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often, and I've seen it over the last 15 years when my clients, I can see when they're not even close to rock bottom, and I know that they're not going to get started. And they'll be like, no, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I, I'm like, okay, let's do it. But then they don't get started. And usually I just tell them, I'm like, I can see you haven't hit your rock bottom yet. I will know, you will know, your whole family, the world will know when you hit that place. Mm -hmm. And it's often, it's sad that it has to be from that place, but it's almost what gives you the fight if you don't have it or if you've lost it because you're just mm -hmm. so exhausted. And mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, understanding how people make the decision to engage in a lifestyle that is just so different. But this Lifestyle, yes, was different, but I mean, it is, and we're going to talk about that now. Yeah. Um, but for you, I just want to say, when I met Zoe, we were in Tofino, and I wake up in the morning, and I'm watching Zoe grab oats, and she grinds them into flour in the blender, and she starts whipping up pancakes, like plant-based whole food pancakes. I'm like, who is this person? Like, who, 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 nobody does that in my world. I teach people how to do that you know, to live that lifestyle of true plant-based, unrefined whole food living. So I'm watching you do this. I'm like, I like this girl a lot. <laughs> like, this is awesome, but still not even understanding anything about um, your conditioning your illness at that point. So I was just like, oh, she just, you know, this is what she does. Um, so let's talk about person mm -hmm. and let's talk about you actually doing it, what that is like the day-to-day. And I want you to speak to that as well, especially to speak to that part now. When Zoe decided to do this, what was going through your head? Um, yeah, so we had, um, we were cooking, <laughs> before we left Mexico, we were cooking, you know, Gerson type meals, but nothing like we're eating now. And we were doing juices, but not the specific juices, it was just juicing whatever we were doing. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is whatever we could. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, we had that little intro into it, and then it was in. We were in. Uh, we were in Palm Springs actually, and you, yeah, you had that that run in. We at the hospital, and what you explained you'd already just been through, and we just decided, yeah, we just have to commit one hundred percent to those days. So we, yeah, we started off at the clinic, and that was that was interesting. You know, you go into this. The Gerson Clinic, it was in Tijuana. Um, and, you know, everyone's there, everyone was really sick. Like, they were like stage four cancer and they're scared. And it was interesting to me because Zoe was by far the sickest person and the most complicated case. And that was a bit of an eye opener for me. Um, but, you know, in the end, you know, I was trying to continue working every day. We were kind of like, the two kids trying to, you know, yeah, we had a luckily it was it went it worked out really well. Babies did well there. Um, you know, ultimately three meals a day getting provided for you and juices. I was pretty stoked on that. Um, you know, so I've I've been on the Gerson train on you know on and off for slightly on say fifty to seventy percent for most of the time. Now getting on it fully. Oh, fully. close to fully. Um, that's the lifestyle. Um, but I, I I had no real trepidation about it. I I really like eating, like I like eating not strongly flavored food. I like eating 
flavors for too, but give me a taste of a vegetable, and taste the vegetable, I need that, I love that. Um, so I wasn't really concerned about it. Now, I didn't know how involved, involving it was. That was definitely a gradual learning process to see really what it involves. Um, and it's big. It's, it's a big, it's a big commitment. It's a huge commitment. I remember arriving at the, the clinic where everything's done for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to do this on an enema. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was so overwhelmed like I felt like time collapsed in on me and I literally was like how am I gonna do I'm sweating thinking about it I'm like yeah. how am I gonna do this all be a mom at the time I was still working and it was a lot oh, I was sweating when I, I was, was like, how is she gonna come because I knew you'd have to come back to life mm -hmm. in home and I was like how is this woman gonna do it because that's what we have to focus on. It's more of a system. Like, yeah. do we get a caretaker in? Do we get, like, and you know you're going to need that. Mm -hmm. If you're doing the lifestyle version, reduces in, you know, one end of my day, which I love what you said. You do that yeah. any day. That's like a day off. Exactly. Yeah, reduces in one end of my day. you've been doing, we're doing up to 13 13. Yeah, yeah, three and, to four animals. And three to four animals a day. So to yeah. go down to three, you're just like, this is just regular life. I probably do that forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and at least one enema a day, and at least three times a day, unless we're not in travel. And now, so you're at the Crescent Clinic, they know you have CF, obviously, and mm -hmm. which must have been an experience in itself because they probably don't get a lot of people with CF. Uh, no, CFTR I was the only one with the CFTR. You can call, they call it adult cystic fibrosis, too. Um, yeah, I think, first of all, it's it's not the Gerson Clinic. It's called the Advanced Gerson mm -hmm. Clinic with Dr. Vickers. Yeah. Um, Dr. Vickers, um, I'll sh share that for another time. But um, <laughs> we encourage you all to go to the True Gerson Clinic, yes. by the way. So we'll put yeah. the link below yeah. so you know the difference. Yes. But they don't allow you to go with children. And so. That, this And this is a big thing that, to that, talk that needs about. Be, yeah. That needs to be discussed. Yeah. They need to do something. Yeah, I, yeah. So I wouldn't have done it if I couldn't have had a young kid. So, so thought, thank you, Dr. Vickers. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. are, like I, you know, I agree about using the clinic completely because yeah, yeah. their aftercare has been atrocious. Mm -hmm. um, so I take that back. If you have children, and if it means you can't get mm -hmm. started with the Gerson therapy, then you know where to go. So we'll put that in the show notes yeah, as there well. You go. Yeah. Yes. And you no, I'm glad that you did. Yeah. And you, people can reach out to you. Talk to you. With yeah. reason, yeah. With reason. I like okay. that. Yeah. Like my life is so full. I know. I almost like catch it. I'm like, yeah, just give me a call. <laughs> Zoe's email and phone number is in the show. Just kidding. It's not. We're not doing that. And, she's and meanwhile, <laughs> she's had to like slow down her business constantly. Every time she gets it going, she slows it down. She just there's too much yeah. to manage. You know, she can't. You know, even just cutting off the one on ones recently because it's too much to manage. So. And this is the you thing. You can call me. I'll speak to you. Start <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, coaching. <laughs> we, um, uh, Zoe is an incredible somatic therapist as yeah. well. And um, so that is, we'll put that in the show notes for later for anybody who wants to experience her beautiful gifts. Um, but yes, no, it is a big decision. And when you do decide to do it, you do have to commit to it. It's not just a, we call ours the six-week e-real-to-help program that's to get you started, like six weeks to get you fully started and understanding the science, how to do it, everything, and 
then it's not like you quit after six weeks. It's like this becomes your life. And even if you're healthy, this is a way of life that can keep you healthy for a very long time. So what what were all the systems that you put in place to be able to make this successful? Like once you're there and you're like, how am I going to implement this when I get home? I feel like I need to close my eyes for this. Yeah. Because I'm like, we could do this forever and actually really set people up. Because I feel like this is the biggest piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I'll say, first of all, the initial decision is probably um, – almost the easiest decision that you make in person. It's the consistency, the persistence, going through the healing crises, the uncertainties, is this working, all of this time, money, effort, shift. And so even recently, I just had a chat with my mom and I'm like, you know, do we in- keep investing in this? Mm-hmm. And I realized I hadn't totally invested in the two year, two and a half year mark yet. Okay. And I only realized that I just reinvested myself and went, okay, this is for the long haul. And so there's just a level of like tenacity um, that I feel like it's those decisions to keep doing it have been the most challenging for me. Um, so the systems that we've been put in place. So initially we got a nanny and then we're like, oh, we'll get our kids looked after and then we're all good. Yeah. But then we realized that the Gerson therapy, we were doing it ourselves and it was a shit show. Yeah. And then I realized like the stress and my adrenals weren't supporting the disease. And then when I was feeling unwell, I can't rely on Mike to be dad and his business and all those things on top of it. So like, hey, well, in the ideal world, if we're going to center our lives around mom and getting better, then we're going to hire two people. So then we took out a home equity line of credit and um, we've just been dipping into the home equity line of credit. We hired a Gerson... A Gerson, would you call Mary Lynn? Yeah, Gerson yeah. therapist? Yeah, well, she, so yeah, usually Gerson therapist is reserved for a health practitioner. So like a naturopath, a medical doctor, a chiropractor who's done a two-year person training through the Gerson Institute. Mm-hmm. And then they can prescribe the protocol, design protocol. But then we created a program and the Gerson Institute has a program. So ours is a nutrition and detox coaching program. The Gerson Institute is the home setup trainer program. And that's how I initially started, got into this, I got trained to be a home setup trainer, to go into people's homes and set them up for five days and teach them everything they need to know. And then I leave and then leave them to it. Whereas Mary Lynn went through our coaching program and yeah, you can tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. So we we actually, before Mary Lynn, we were in Mexico at this time because we were moving to Mexico. So we hired a woman named Miranda who was just keen. She'd heard a little bit about Gerson, super intelligent, beautiful woman that we just ended up adoring and she became part of our family. So we learned together and we found a rhythm together. Our rhythm in Mexico was very different. Trying to source organic food is actually way more challenging than we anticipated. And just getting the specifics for say the green juice, like there's no such thing as watercress. We couldn't find granny sleeve apples. And so our system there was like, um, just kind of, what would you say, like, it was a slimmer version. We did everything, the 13 juices, but it wasn't the system we have now. I always have to tell the story of, of getting into the Airbnb, the, the vacation rental we had there. Yeah. Like, I was, like, pestering um, the, the owner, like, that you need to get in there early. We've got a fridge full of produce, and it's so hot out. We can't let it go bad, and I've just got to drop off the, anyway, she was saying no, and I was saying, yes, no, we have to. She was saying no, and I just kept on hammering it. Anyway, we got in there early, got the stuff in the fridge, and then we proceeded to take everything out of the kitchen, 
because we carry your travel with our, all of our pots and pans because they all need to be the right stainless and steel and the lids that fit um, and the juicer. Our whole car was Gerson. We had to let go of everything for traveling and our whole car became just a Gerson car. Oh my goodness. So we and then load it with more yeah. after you. So that transition was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. We don't we were traveling in like in Airbnbs or like sneaking in juicers, all of our cellar our stainless steel pots and pans. We're going oh to gosh. one soon and we were just joking about bringing the sauna. The sauna? <laughs> the the right. sauna. You can pack it right. down. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. So now you're going to throw the sauna on the roof, <laughs> strap it down yeah, and it's no, yeah. helpful. Oh, I feel like we're steering, but I feel like right. that's like the real, like the, the messiness, but I think that's going to be such a big part well, of it, embracing the mess of starting it. And yeah. like any mm-hmm. system, it's, you know, I remember in, in our relationship, when we were doing counseling one time, they were like, there's the business and the household is a business. And then there's the you as each individuals, and then there's the relationship. So you gotta run the business like a or the house like a business, the relationship like a relationship, and individuals like a business. And I feel like Gerson to me added a whole other business Ooh, it's a whole under business. the household. Yeah. And so that business model is starting to get like I can't wait to share that I feel like it's so far beyond oh, this, yeah. but basically having super clear communication, um, being really transparent with what you need, sourcing out places to get organic, preferably local um, produce. So right now we're getting a lot of it from Green Mustache. Oh, Pierre. I did not know that. Yes, Pierre. Way to go, Pierre. Pierre. <laughs> yeah, I know, so we get to visit Pierre every week and he gives us yeah. a lot of the oranges, and the granite apples and carrots. I did not know that. Pierre's my husband, he's awesome. He runs our restaurant. He's so amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so Mary Lynn or I went one time to go to that. Then we get, you know, spuds, and then we go to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, like, a consistent rhythm, as consistent as you can get. But you realize there are food shortages in yes. terms of what we have in the, the, the supply and demand chain versus the obvious supply and demand chain. And so we kind of have to meet every week to make sure we're on par, so we connect every week to make mm-hmm. sure that we are getting all of the produce. And then each day... Um, we all sit down, I have a beautiful rhythm in the morning, I make my cold pressed juice, my potassium, my iodine, and then oatmeal, and then I go for an enema, hopefully before the kids wake up. And then we all eat that together and the whole family's on person, like we plant person now. Um, and then throughout the day, I do my three enemas, we eat a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all personified, and then I have a juice on the hour every hour for, 13 juices, so 13 with two hour breaks, so it's like 13. Yeah, so three meals a day, snacks when you want it. I know Mary Lynn's been making amazing so good. juices. So, and just to clarify, so Mary Lynn, we matched Mary Lynn, put out a job posting. I had mm. a bunch of people responded, which was amazing. Mm. You interviewed them and then brought Mary Lynn, who's been, Mary Lynn here, who's been living for how long now? Since June, early yeah. June. So, which, I just want to say is, thank goodness that you did that. Yes. Right? Oh my goodness. And yeah. also, there's a lot of people I know that say, well, I don't want to do that because I want somebody living in my space. I don't want somebody, you know, the, all the different reasons why you don't want to have somebody living with you. Even yeah. though people have spare bedrooms or an office or like even, you know, a couch to sleep on. Like you can trade food and other things to have somebody come in and 
help you because mm -hmm. without that help, it, I mean, it just adds so much more stress and stress on the body is not what you need right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, we just, we just are so clear that we're revolving this time around my health. Mm -hmm. And I've really trusted the value in that. It's taken me a while to like really own that. Um, but once you do that, then we're basically like, we'll put whatever we can, all of our resources into like the um, and yeah, Mary Lynn, her, having her live here is so big because Mike also needs the support. It's like a doula and birth, you know, yeah, the male really. needs the support. So he doesn't have to be my one and only one. Now there's Mary Lynn. Um, so yeah, it's so big. It's huge. That is so huge. And so let's go back to when you first went <laughs> to the clinic because you did, you had started and then you did get an infection. Mm -hmm. um, and you had been used to getting multiple infections a year, mm -hmm. and so then you started nursing. So what was every that? Four weeks. Every four weeks, an infection, mm -hmm. and you tied that. And just want to speak about that as well, because mm -hmm. when I saw you when you were pregnant, I was like, "This woman's not sick. She looks amazing and vibracious, and you know, just gorgeous and vibrant and healthy. Like your skin mm -hmm. looks healthy, everything." Um, but tell us a little bit more about that relationship between your cycle <sighs> and CF. Yeah. <clears throat> well, leave the science of tubes. I'm not so oh, good with sure. articulating science, but I know I was saying for years, I was telling the doctors that because <clears throat> um, I've been cycle syncing for 12 years, and I'd say every time I'd get my period or two days before, I'd have a flare up. And it felt like a flare up. It didn't necessarily feel like a new infection coming in. It felt like something was already inside of me and my body didn't have the capacity anymore. Or something shifted so that it turned into something that became really symptomatic and caused me a lot of a lot of discomfort when they then put me on antibiotics. And it was clockwork. Every single time I would get it would rise up a couple days before my period, I'd get super unwell, and then put them on antibiotics. And so I told them time and time again, something goes there's some kind of form hormonal correlation and it's absolute clockwork. Um, and I was just kind of and I remember when you told me that because there's two things that happened. So you said to me, you're like, Nikki, I don't think I can take the Aspel. Aspel has pepsin in it. And you're and I mean, Zoe knows her body more than any other client I've ever met ever in 15 years of doing this. And so I just said, okay, I have to trust her. And so I quickly Googled Pepsin and well, Aspel and CF. And sure enough, it said Pepsin dries out the mucus lining. And then, which can wreak habit and allow infection to set in. So, while there is this excess production of mucus in the body, we also don't want to disturb the healthy, healthy mucus lining. Mm -hmm. So, right away, we're like, stop the pepsin, the asphalt, and you had already stopped it. And so, then that was good. So, there was a like micro adjustments that had to be made along the way. Yeah. Then, the second part, um, and, and when I looked at the research, it was right there in the research. <laughs> if you go to Google Scholar, you can Google stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Google Scholar, any journal article that's ever been published, and there's tons of research on this. Then the second part, and the genetic disparity you saw right away. Right away. So yeah. when Zoe told me that's about, true. yeah, when you told me about how it was tied to your cycle, and you know, and so I looked up and I was like, what's happening in the cycle? Right, estrogen levels are going up just before you get your period. So when I looked at estrogen and CF in a Google Scholar search, it said right away, CF is a gender bias disease, which means that women with CF have more infections than men with CF, and it's the relationship, again, between estrogen and mucus production. So this was huge. 
But what really floored me when you told me that is that you had told your doctors this time and time again, and they just brushed you off. And I was able to find that in, we were on a Zoom call, and I was just like, hang on one minute, I'm just going to look this up. And it took me a whole entire 30 seconds yeah. to completely <clears throat> see that, yeah. which for me, that makes me want to scream to all, all the CF researchers out there and be like, pay attention to this one thing because what some of the things that I said to you was you want to get rid of your uterus oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go on just birth, go on hysterectomy. Yeah, just so, go on birth control because yeah. I was like if that can yeah. happen you know manage the infection mm -hmm. kind of thing, I love you're yeah. like I'm not ready to get rid of my uterus just yet I was partially joking partially partially yeah, this partially. much joking yeah. so yeah but that was just interesting to make these discoveries together Oh, yeah. and it was a huge eye-opener to me to see how fast new knowledge and wisdom can drop in. And not even drop in, like, it's already there. Yes. It's just, have we opened the door? And that experience, 10, 15 minutes of us yeah. unveiling, me listening to my body, you going, do, 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 and us going, oh, well, there's extreme correlation. It didn't yeah. even seem like it was small correlation. Oh, no, no, it, it was 100%. This is what's happening. So that gave me a lot of faith yeah. because I'm like, okay, there's so much more mm -hmm. that I am a CF patient and not being supported by. Because yeah. if I, for me, my mission prior to nursing, I want to heal the disease. Like I'm looking for the miracle. I'm acting on the miracle. It's really like, how can I minimize my body working? That's been a lens that I've had. It's like, so if I can minimize the estradiol, and like that relationship, then my experience and quality of life is going to be that much better. Oh, exactly. So that was that was that that was mind blowing. That took me minutes. Yeah, no, that was a mind blowing experience for me as well. Um, Mike, I want to go back to Zoe's fortieth birthday. So you just turned forty. That was exciting. Um, it was also exciting when we met with Dr. Lucy, who's mm -hmm. a medical doctor here in Vancouver um, from the UK. She did Gerson um, when she was diagnosed with cancer, healed um, while she was in med school, became a doctor. And so immediately I had to put these two and two together. And it was interesting talking to Dr. Lucy, um, Dr. Lyons, because she said, well, you know, if you continue to do this, you know, you could easily see like 84, 85, um, you know, which is a, that's the average lifespan of a human, of a woman, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And knowing your tenacity, you probably blow that through the ceiling. And I've got 96. 96? 96. Okay. Let's do, okay. I'd have to be like, I'll meet you there. <laughs> so, but you had said, um, you had said to me at her birthday after you pulled me aside and you said, I just want to let you know there was a time when I looked at Zoe and her skin was translucent and you really saw that she was quite sick. And when was that exactly at that point? Um, it, when she gets when she gets sick with the, with the flare ups, um, it, it goes in those moments like I can really gauge how she's doing by just feeling feeling the, the density of the skin and that's what it is really. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so we've been together ten years. So, yeah. so you know, so so she had she you know so she had that. Well, I think that is a beautiful way to end this 
incredibly amazing podcast with two of the most beautiful people that I know. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story because there's so much in it that I know will help other people who, whether they CF or any other kind of condition where potentially, you know, restoring your nutrient deficiency, so removing that threat, mm-hmm. um, nutritional deficiency, toxicity, what would happen to your body, to your life, if you just attempt to remove that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really Whether you have a diagnosis or not. Whether you have, exactly. It's not just for the, mm-hmm. you know, individuals who are healthy, you know, unhealthy and unwell or have a diagnosis, but for individuals everywhere. Because we do live in a world where... There's just so much coming at us that enter into our bodies, into our minds, and, you mm-hmm. know, how do we sweep that away to make room for the abundance that is truly out there? Mm-hmm. So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. We did yeah. it. We did it. And the kids are home. And the kids are home. Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Beautiful people. Thank you. Any last words from you? Um. Yeah, at the 40th, when I pulled you aside and I shared about Zoe's skin, I also said thank you for being such a support. Like, it's so hard to know how to support this very complex person on a lot of levels. Um, and you have offered so much to get us here. Thank It's a journey for all of us. Now do you want to smell my armpits? Yeah, let's smell those babies. Let's see. Stinky. Oh, still flowers, girl. No. A little bit of of spice in there. Really? Yes, just a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Taco chips armpits over here. You don't even want to go there. We're not going to go there. Oh, yeah. Or sushi sometimes. I was like, why do I smell like sushi? (laughs) A sushi restaurant. Okay, bye, everyone. We will uh, see you next week. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. How did you find that show? Did you learn something? Were you inspired? Do you have questions? Um, Do you want to share this show with other people? Please reach out to us and let us know what you thought about this episode. It is probably one of the most important episodes that we've ever had on our show because what is happening with Zoe, it truly is breakthrough. It is a breakthrough in the field in research of cystic fibrosis. And in fact, I only know of one other individual that had cystic fibrosis and did the Gerson therapy. This woman was sick. She was needing four organs transplanted. She was in the hospital dying. And instead of just succumbing to um, waiting for these organs that were not coming and, and succumbing to death, She said, no way, checked out of the hospital, and she went to the True Gerson Clinic in Mexico, not the same clinic that Zoe went to. So I just want to be clear on that. So she went to the Gerson Clinic and she healed herself. She stayed on the Gerson therapy for many years. She went on and had four children. She was able to watch them grow up. And the story is truly remarkable about her healing. So there's still so much work that needs to be done, still so much research, but there is a nugget of hope within this podcast, within this show and within Zoe's experience. And if we can all get together, share this information, it's going to be truly remarkable what can come about from it. 
So please share this podcast with others. I implore you to do that. And thank you so much for listening to this show and for being here today. And I look forward to seeing you next week on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Bye for now.